So let's uh, travel to the UK now. Ben Jacobs now joins us on the line, and he's senior football reporter for CBS Sports, Galazzo. And he will talk about what is happening. I mean, if we talk about um, the January window opening up, and Newcastle's new owners who've started to sign players for the team, and then COVID-19, because I think we cannot remove COVID-19 from any sporting code, from anywhere. I, I guess it's intertwined in most of our sentences when we speak to each other. But let's welcome Ben to the show. Ben, Happy New Year to you and a warm welcome to the Touchline. Happy New Year to you and all of your listeners as well. Good afternoon. It's good to have you. I want to talk about Liverpool, but I mean, I cannot overlook, uh, Newcastle rather, but we can't overlook what's happening with the Liverpool's request for the match to be postponed due to, I guess, that nasty word, COVID-19, that rears its head uh, all the time. Absolutely. I think that COVID is, as you alluded to a moment ago, something that football globally is going to have to deal with and adapt to and there's two aspects to it one is obviously the disease and the most important thing is the health of everybody footballers included and the after effect for an elite professional athlete that i suppose we're still learning about and then the second thing is just clubs manipulating covid so we're not talking about the disease really anymore or the health of the footballers we're specifically talking about occasions when clubs are asking for postponement in this case for a league cup semi-final and what are the grounds? And it's a whole different, almost bureaucratic debate because every single league and federation and tournament has slightly different rules. And some of them, for AFCON, for example, have global travel and the need perhaps for teams to stay within a bubble because they're there for a longer period of time. And others, obviously, with these bigger teams and one-off games when they're playing domestically are more open to debates because Liverpool will offer a postponement and Arsenal will say, well, hang on a minute, do we get to see the data and the proof and how many of your players have got COVID? How many have just been in close contact and are isolating? And do you not have a big enough squad? Mm. And there's sort of an irony to this Liverpool postponement simply because if your listeners cast their minds back, Liverpool actually had a cup game and a league game in close vicinity. And when they played against Aston Villa in the cup a few seasons back, they used that game to play solely youth kids because they wanted to focus on the other game mm-hmm. that they were playing at exactly the same time. So that leads fans, and Arsenal fans in particular in this case, to say, well, I know you say you don't have enough senior fit players, but yeah. you've got a whole bunch of under-23s that you're maybe not utilising that you could call up for a game like this. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. Premier League and all leagues really need to clarify what the COVID rules are for postponement because I think that some people believe there's room to manipulate and get a postponement in order to get your key players back. Mm. And that perhaps is bending the rules. Bending the rules, I'm going to call it cheating, Ben. I'm going to go outright and say perhaps a little bit of cheating involved here. But when do we have a serious grown-up conversation where I guess the powers that be sit around the table? I think globally, it isn't just in the UK and South Africa. Our league experienced similar issues recently. And so I think a bigger conversation needs to be held. What are the rules? What are we going to do? Or we are going to forever, let's hope not forever, but we are going to see more of these hiccups a little bit more frequently as a, uh, opposed to a free-flowing league that, that runs and games that need to be played. Yeah, I totally agree. And we're going to have to come up with a solution probably before the end of 2022 because we've got a World Cup to deal with and AFCON can speed things up. But obviously the challenge is that if you're a footballer involved in AFCON or playing specifically for 
one of those countries as far as the federation is concerned, as opposed to, say, an individual like Mo Salah and Liverpool, you might have a scenario where something catalyzes a process of clarifying the process or the protocol. Mm. So the protocol is obviously how often you have to be tested and when you can or can't come back into a bubble and when you may have to isolate even if you find yourself COVID negative. And the process is obviously how these different teams, leagues and federations domestically and globally communicate because we need some unity and some consistency. So FIFA need to ultimately lead on this or at least by continent. So UEFA or CAF need to make sure that there's some universal process. Otherwise, what's going to happen is you're going to see a player or a club fall under one set of rules domestically. Then they're going to go and play in, let's say, the Champions League, and it's a different set of Mm. rules. Then Mm. they're going to go off to AFCON or a World Cup and find another set of rules. But it's the same virus. (laughs) So we're going to have variants and we're going to have hiccups along the way. And the other thing that we need to determine is regardless of the rules, research on the after effects. So let's not forget the human side of a professional athlete. We don't know that much about COVID-19 long term and how it might affect a professional athlete. And until we do, we're ultimately looking at getting these games on for entertainment. And we need to make sure that we also consider the health and long-term safety of everyone, but in this case of the professional footballer. Yeah, without a doubt, Ben. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. The human aspect as well, because they are not machines. They're human beings at the end of the day. I'm going to pay the bills. And when we come back, I'd like us to chat about what does the rule say on COVID-19 currently? Happy New Year, South Africa. Forget New Year's resolutions and focus on you and your faves and things that help you live your way, like insuring your car, home, and business with one of South Africa's top-rated insurers on hellopeter.com. For an obligation-free quote, call My Way on 0860-646464. My Way, live your way. My Way is a licensed non-life insurer FSP. Standard rates and T's and C's apply. Four, three, two, one. Happy New Year! Hey, you know, it's 2022, the year of all the twos. So give yourself too many YouTubes, too many movies, too many video calls, too many memes. Oh, yes, it's time to turn on fast 5G home Wi-Fi from only $4.99 a month. No contracts delivered free from rain.co.za. Rain, your unlimited data network. It is 16.50 right here on The Touchline with me, Romy Titus. If it airs that you've just joined us, so I'm in conversation with Ben Jacobs. He is in the UK and a senior football reporter for EBS Sports Galazzo. And we're talking about COVID-19 at the moment and just how that has infiltrated. It rears its head in sport once again. And we're taking a look at an AFCON, which uh, doesn't run without any hiccups, especially when it comes to COVID-19. Ben, we were talking, obviously. I, I love that you brought in the human aspect and those long... Uh, long-term side effects that come with it at the end of the day. But if the rule isn't as clear-cut as we had hoped it would be at the moment, what is the current rule and what does the rule say on COVID-19? Well, it differs from tournaments or leagues, but generally speaking, every league will have a number. And if a club can field that number of outfield players plus goalkeepers. So in the Premier League, it's 14 inclusive of the goalkeepers. So that is a squad available of 13 outfield players plus one goalkeeper. And most leagues work according to that same kind of aim, but there are differences to some extent. So you have certain leagues that 
will also look at the percentage of their vaccinated footballers and if they trust in the vaccine and believe Serie A, for example, where 98% of all of their footballers are double vaxxed and many of them have had the booster, then you get differences in who, for example, when they're COVID negative, has to isolate and for how long. Mm. That changes things. So in the Premier League, the problem at the moment is that when there is a small COVID outbreak, there is still the need for the vast majority of those in close contact for the players that are positive to isolate, which takes out a much bigger number of the squad. And that's why many games are being postponed. Serie A, on the other hand, will have perhaps a large number of COVID positives still, but there'll be all of those negative players that because they're double vaccinated, they can still train. They don't have to isolate for as long. They can take a lateral flow test. If that's still negative, they can re-enter the bubble and play. Mm -hmm. So that's where you get some differences and discrepancies. But in essence, it's quite a complicated topic. But the short answer to your question is most leagues will look for a number of fit players within the football club. And if you can field those players, even if you're without a ton of others and your star names, the game must go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Okay, with that said, it is January. We're talking transfer window. I get excited. Yay, it's Jan. It's my birthday. But it's also transfer window. <laughs> Two completely <laughs> different things. <laughs> but let, let's talk about Newcastle. Obviously, new owners, and they've made their first signing. Yeah, they have. Happy birthday. And for football fans, Thank you. <laughs> it feels like a birthday. And for Newcastle fans, every day of the January transfer window <laughs> probably feels like their birthday as well. So as you say, Newcastle had a Saudi-led takeover. The Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund has made them, on paper at least, the richest club in world football. And it's a strange situation because on the one hand, everyone's excited if you're a Newcastle fan about their future. But on the other hand, they're second bottom of the Premier League and they've only won one game. So first and foremost, they need to strengthen in order to stay up and then perhaps they can be a bit more ambitious. But we've seen no shortage of ambition so far with how they've acted in this transfer window. The signing that you mentioned is Kieran Trippier from Atletico Madrid, a right-back in England international, signed for something in the region, all in, including add-ons of 15 million British pounds or about 20 million US dollars. And it's a marquee signing, really, because, as I say, Newcastle's second bottom of the table, but they've brought on board an England international. He is a La Liga winner with Atletico, and he could have stayed until the end of the season and continued playing in the Champions League. But it was very much a personal move for him. He was sold by, obviously, the wages on offer. It mm. was being a little bit cynical. But in addition to that, what prompted the move was the fact that he wanted to come back to England, and he sees Newcastle as a long-term challenge where he can use his class to help keep them up and then from there hopefully push towards Europe. But it's a big, big challenge for Newcastle United because if the results don't come soon for any outside, regardless of who they sign, they could still easily find themselves dropping down a division. Yeah, yeah, and they don't want that. But, I mean, on the other hand, though, Ben, I mean, Newcastle's problems perhaps up front when they lost strikers due to injuries, and shouldn't that really be where they're focusing? Yeah, it's become an urgent priority because of a recent injury to Callum Wilson, and as a consequence, they have to find a way of getting goals. Luckily, Alan St. Maximin, he picked up a calf injury, much like Callum Wilson in the same game. That was a 1-1 draw against Manchester United, but he's fine. He'll be back for the next Premier League game, and it's okay. a big one as well, as far as relegation is concerned against Claudio Ranieri's Watford. But Wilson is out for at least a couple of months, so they're definitely going to have to find a striker. The priority was always two centre-backs, 
and a central midfielder. Newcastle have conceded 42 Premier League goals already this season. They're very, very weak at the back. Mm. But because of Wilson's unexpected injury, they have to find a striker. So now they're looking at various names. One thing that's really interesting off the back of the takeover, because there was so much bad blood between Newcastle and the Premier League, and arguably Newcastle and some of the other Premier League clubs who were very much against the takeover happening and want clarity as to why it wasn't happening, and now it has happened, and they want the Premier League to justify what exactly changed their mind, because the people that ultimately think this is the Saudi Arabian government mm-hmm. and Mohammed bin Salman directly controlling a football club, it's kind of too complicated to get into, but in essence, that's what those that are against the takeover feel, that uh-huh. you've basically got the crown prince of Saudi Arabia controlling a football club. <laughs> and as a consequence, Premier League clubs don't want to do business with Newcastle, so they went to Liverpool's Divock Origi, and they were told no, and they're going to find when they try to get names, particularly if they're loan deals, and they might want a loan striker because Callum Wilson will ultimately come back. Premier League clubs are not necessarily going to do business with them in the easiest way, and prices are going to be hiked up, so they'll turn their attention to Europe as a result. They're not going to get Dusan Blaevich of Fiorentina, who's the form striker in Serie A, they're potentially in for Anthony Martial, maybe on a loan deal, but generally speaking, they're struggling to get their lead targets up front, whereas if you look at some of their other options, particularly in defence, they're making a bit more progress, so they've got Trippier, they're still in for Sven Botman at Lille as well, so when they're dealing with a club in Europe, they use their financial muscle, and they're actually making quite a bit of headway. But when they're talking to Premier League clubs, it's a lot, lot harder. Yeah, yeah. Nicely put, nicely put, Ben. Um, is it a crazy January window? Is it absolutely crazy? Or is it, you know, pr- pretty doable in terms of, of the moving and shaking? I think for most clubs, it's going to be a busy window because they didn't spend that much over the course, really, of the last two. And we've already seen in week one, a lot more movement than maybe some anticipated, and usually the window snowballs. So if we're seeing a fair amount of movement and deals that are coming to fruition already only a week into the window, then it's very likely that by the end of January we'll see a fair few deals. For Newcastle specifically, it's quite tough because of their league position, so they're selling somebody a move, Mm. but that player may ask for a relegation release clause or such high wages that if they end up at the club and they go down in the championship, then Newcastle has got an untenable wage bill. For other clubs, it can be difficult as well. Arsenal, for example, are in a good position because they're actually challenging for the Champions League and things have picked up under Mikel Arteta, and they know they're probably going to lose Aubameyang, so they can go out into the market off the back of what they think they might get for him and probably bring in a striker, and they desperately, desperately need midfielders as well. But Manchester United, on the other hand, much like Newcastle, are also in a tricky position simply because it's another unstable club. And unstable can be exciting Mm. in Newcastle's case under new owners, but they don't know where they're going to be next season. And Manchester United have got Ralph Rangnick, but that key word, interim, and there's a bit of unrest in the dressing room, and nobody knows what's next. So Mm. if you're a player, even though Manchester United has huge appeal to many footballers, if you're talking to Ralph Rangnick and he wants you, how do you then know that the new manager is going to like you and you'll fit into his or her system. So that's the challenge for Manchester United. If there's a player, for example, like Declan Rice, that they may be in for, albeit for a massive transfer fee of around 100 million British pounds, 
why is he going to leave West Ham when he's in form, when they're challenging for Europe, to come to Manchester United and then find in six months' time, hypothetically, Pochettino gets the job mm. and he prefers somebody else Correct. in central or defensive midfield. Mm. So it's a bit unstable at Manchester United, so I don't expect them to get that much movement incoming, but it will be interesting to see Paul Pogba ends up being one of the outgoings over the course of the next three weeks. Yeah, you got to love football, man, and all its happenings. Before I let you go, however, Ben, Philip Coutinho returns to England with Aston Villa. Your thoughts on that? Brilliant signing, isn't it? And all down for that relationship between Steven Gerrard and Coutinho. It was interesting, the amount of links with the serious contenders, particularly Villa and Gerrard, having played with Coutinho. And Gerrard made three personal calls in the 48 hours before he joined in order to get that deal over the line. But Leicester was the other club in for Coutinho, and that has a link in the sense Brendan Rodgers managed Coutinho at Liverpool as well. So he was sport for options, but I just think it's a really exciting signing for Villa. And people will naturally, even though one's a bit younger, make comparisons between Jack Grealish and Coutinho. And I think those comparisons are fair. Coutinho is a shorter term signing, say, than a Grealish. But since Grealish left Villa, they just lack that bit of spark in central midfield. They've got good defensive midfielders like Luis, who may actually be linked with other clubs. And then they've got Buendia, who's more of an attacking midfielder and striker, but he drops into midfield. But now he can play a bit further forward alongside Ollie Watkins and then filling in that gap in the false number nine or the ten role is Coutinho and he's going to be all over their set pieces he's going to be linking up the play he's going to be intricate he's going to be a magical exciting signing for Aston Villa the kind of player this season that can get them well beyond mid-table mediocrity and then building to next season can have them back pushing towards the top six or the top eight or even potentially beyond depending on how well Gerard does so I think it's a really smart bit of business and when we reflect on this window in three weeks' time, that might be one of the bargain and best signings yeah. that we've seen in the January window, certainly in the Premier League. Well, let's definitely reflect in three weeks' time. Ben, thank you very much for spending time with us here on Radio 2000 today. Pleasure, and a happy birthday to you in advance. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Ben. Ben Chatstars from the UK there. It is Ben Jacobs, and he's senior football reporter for CBS Sports Galazzo. So, yes, wow. I mean, he hit the nail on the head. There's just so much information. And if you take a look from on the pitch, and he took us into the boardrooms and into, the, I guess, the minds of the coaches and then back again. What a beautiful story he told us, especially with Newcastle. What is happening with the new owners? And I hope that Trippier doesn't trip himself up, wants to come back to the UK. And is it the right decision? Because, yes, you know what to do now. But Newcastle are in such a precarious position. <sighs> you got to love football, right? you got to. Stay in touch with us. Instagram at Radio2000 underscore ZA.